0: Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson show across the state of Georgia. Marie Ivanovich has just sat down as I'm beginning to speak here inside the House Intelligence Committee hearing where they will begin questioning her in uh, the impeachment matter. We will bring you some of that live audio here. Uh, it is a rainy day across the state of Georgia this morning. Uh, the, the southeast itself, as with all the cold, bringing up the radar right now. It's uh, a little more rain about to come through in Rome. Dalton appears to be dry. Clarksville, Athens, uh, you're going to be getting some rain. Uh, Jasper as well. The further south you go, the better off you are. Uh, over towards uh, Vidalia, you're going to get one more little bit of white light, l- light showers. South Georgia, you're in the clear right now. Quick check of the t- temperatures for you, uh, here in Athens, 43 degrees. You've got Rome is below 40 degrees everywhere else in the mid forties around the state. Uh, Rome 43 as well. Jasper 41, uh, down to Eastman, you get to 46, uh, down to Vidalia, you get to 48. Uh, we, we will be, I will, again, I I will play you audio and, uh, of this, but I don't think that Marie Ivanovich is going to help the Democrats very much. In fact, I think that she's probably going to help the Republicans. And I want to spend a little bit on this this morning. I, I will tell you though, full disclosure, I'm kind of tired of talking about impeachment. Uh, I I don't think we're actually going to get impeachment. We may get articles of impeachment, but Nancy Pelosi yesterday, uh, the way she talked, the defensiveness of how she talked suggested maybe they're starting to see the light on this, that they are hurting themselves as they proceed down this road. And the reason they're hurting themselves is because the Democratic senators who are running for president are going to be stuck in Washington, D.C., at the whim of Mitch McConnell, who can drag out the impeachment trial as long as he wants. And Senate Republicans are starting to say, you know, we could do this thing for eight weeks. Here's my thinking on impeachment, if I'm real honest about it. Uh, We can't stop the House Democrats from doing what they're doing, so we might as well have fun with it. If they're going to go through articles of impeachment, uh, we hold the Senate Democrats hostage for eight weeks. Metaphorically speaking, of course, um, you you allow the the Senate Democrats to sit in a trial where they can't ask questions for eight weeks. Uh, they can't grandstand and they can't campaign. You've got Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada and Super Tuesday. And they miss most of that stuff. They allow Joe Biden to advance uh, his nomination. Uh, Maybe Pete Buttigieg. Man, we'll get into Pete Buttigieg later. There's a coordinated effort. He's coming to Atlanta. They're coming to Atlanta for the debates and going to sabotage him. The Democrats are in some level of coordinated attack. It's going to be very interesting to see. Now, what is happening Uh, with impeachment this morning. We've got Yovanovitch. She's there. Adam Schiff is speaking right now. The House Ways and Means Committee chair uh, room. Just so you understand, they're in the Longworth office building. They're in the House Ways and Means uh, Committee meeting room, which is the largest of the committee rooms for the House of Representatives because of the attention of this. The Democrats wanted to be able to give it. uh, They're convening there, the House Intelligence Committee. He's talking right now. In fact, I might as well just give you some sense of what's going on there. Pull this up so you get can get some flavor of what's very happening. Very
1: successful. Ambassador Michael McKinley, who had served with her in the Foreign Service for several decades, stated that from the earliest days of her career in the Foreign Service, she was excellent, serious, committed. I certainly remember her being one of those people who seemed to be destined for greater things.
0: Okay, so here's here's why Ivanovich I think, helps the Republicans. Uh, she has no ties to the quid pro quo allegation. I think it is fair to say, and some of you will be mad at me for saying this, um, the reason she was fired is because Rudy Giuliani believed a bunch of old people on Fox News peddling conspiracy theories about Ukraine and Hillary Clinton. You see, the the Democrats are firmly convinced that Russia helped steal the election for Trump, and Trump supporters are convinced that Ukraine firmly tried to help Hillary Clinton— steal the election from donald trump they were just only not successful uh there's the allegation that was raised in the president's um phone call with ukraine's president about CrowdStrike. you will recall CrowdStrike was the um was the the service that helped the democrats try to figure out what happened uh th- their servers were held there and a lot of people th- are under the impression that that the Democrats had a server that was being run out of Ukraine. Uh, that's not the way these services work. And, and that may be helpful to you for me to under uh, to explain it to you. Although so many people have said so many things that weren't true on Fox News about it, uh, I, I don't know whether or not uh, anyone will even believe me when I tell you the truth. And that's kind of the problem we're in right now, is I can tell you what actually happened. Uh, but because there has been so much misinformation, in large part because of certain now, voices. Now, when he talks about this, this yes.
2: um, CrowdStrike and the server, what do you understand this to be a reference to? To be honest, I had not heard of CrowdStrike until I read this transcript on September 25th.
3: Do you now understand what it relates to? I understand it has to do with uh, the uh, story that uh, there's a server with uh, missing emails. Uh, I also understand that one of the owners of, uh, or, uh, of CrowdStrike is a Russian-American. I'm not aware of any Ukrainian connection to the company.
2: Now, are you aware that this is all part of a larger allegation that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election? Yes, that is my understanding. And to your knowledge, is there any factual basis to um, support the allegation that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election? To my knowledge, there is no factual basis, no. And in fact, who did interfere in the 2016 election?
3: I think it's amply clear that Russian uh, interference was at the heart of the uh, interference in the 2016 election cycle.
0: I, I don't think it's helpful for the Democrats to do that. Now, that that was uh, Deputy Secretary of State Kent who testified on Wednesday about this, and you will note, he said he didn't have any knowledge of what CrowdStrike was. CrowdStrike was a company the Democrats used, uh, and then th- that that company helped the FBI determine it was Russia that had hacked the DNC. The uh, Trump campaign became so invested in the idea that Russia had nothing to do with the electoral interference in 2016 that they began to believe that CrowdStrike itself uh, they they have tie- were able to make ties to George Soros and to Ukraine. And, and all of these things, but the the problem is that's not how any of this works. Um, that you. Rudy Giuliani, based on what several different people have said on Fox over the last year, became convinced that there was a fixed server hard drive in Ukraine where all the DNC emails were stored. The reality is that they operated in the cloud, uh, much like Amazon or Apple or or Google or anything else. And there are servers all over the world, including in a server farm in Ukraine, where emails and other data are kept in hard drives. And and it looks like you've got a single hard drive, but the reality is you've got a system of of hard drives spread out all over the world. And you're not exactly sure where everything is, but everything is hyper Linked together and can draw information and and, but that set them down this road now i say that to say this i think the president is wrong in his uh presuppositions on ukraine and i think rudy giuliani is to blame for the president having these wild beliefs about uh, the situation in ukraine i think rudy giuliani is going to be the fall guy but Marie Ivanovich doesn't have anything to do with it. And uh, she was fired because the president believed she was undermining corruption investigations in Ukraine and that she was an impediment to looking into the server issue. So she knew nothing about the quid pro quo. She was fired before that. And what is her allegation? And what are the allegations of those around her? That she was a good and competent employee, that she was a good and competent ambassador, that the Democrats liked her, and that she was a strong supporter of Ukraine. This plays into the Bill Taylor allegations from the president uh, and the Republicans that Bill Taylor, the acting ambassador to Ukraine, that his problem is this. Uh, The president wanted to chart a different course with Ukraine foreign policy. And in charting that different course with Ukraine foreign policy, the diplomats revolt revolted. They were revolted and decided to revolt. And there's actually fair analysis there. I I, I think it's fair to say that was part of the case. Now, you may hate the president and you may think that the president needs to be impeached, but I think there is ample evidence to suggest that there are diplomats within the federal government and members of the intelligence community who do not like this president, who were ideologically sympathetic to the Democrats. They did not like the direction the president wanted to take the country. And so they decided to undermine him. So much of this, I believe, is tied back to Anonymous. And I don't think people appreciate that enough. It has been my, my longstanding complaint about Anonymous. You, you, anonymous is the guy, the book is coming out. Man, Peggy Noonan just savaged the book today, savaged the book. And she points out it's clear this is not a senior-level staffer. It's someone who wants you to think they had more authority than they did. And and I've said that for a while now, that it wasn't someone prominent. But it made very clear that there were people within the administration who were out to get the president. So what did the president do? The president relied on idiots like Rudy Giuliani to handle his foreign policy because he couldn't trust the people in the administration. And along come Bill Taylor and George Kinn and Marie Ivanovich, and they all kind of amplify that, that these people are out to undermine the president and his agenda. He got elected to do, to change. He wanted to change and they tried to stop him. And the only way he could work is to fire them, push them out of the way and rely on third parties. And Marie Ivanovich is one of the victims here of this conspiracy theory peddled by some on Fox and believed by Rudy Giuliani. But you know, what, the president had the right to fire and he did and she really doesn't have anything to do with the quid pro quo phone call. Devin Nunez has, has taken the podium, let me, let me listen to him for a minute.
4: ...for themselves. They saw us sit through hours of hearsay testimony about conversations that two diplomats who had never spoken to the president heard secondhand, thirdhand, and fourthhand from other people. In other words, rumors. The problem of trying to overthrow a president based on this type of evidence, is obvious. But that's what their whole case relies on, beginning with secondhand and third-hand information cited by the whistleblower. That's why on Wednesday, the Democrats were forced to make the absurd argument that hearsay can be much better evidence than direct evidence. And just when you thought the spectacle couldn't get more bizarre, Many Republicans received a memo from the Democrats threatening ethics referrals if we out the whistleblower. As the Democrats are well aware, no Republicans here know the whistleblower's identity because the whistleblower only met with Democrats, not with Republicans. Chairman Schiff claimed not to know who it is, yet he also vowed to block us from asking questions that could reveal his or her identity. Republicans on this committee are left wondering how it's even possible for the chairman to block questions about a person whose identity he claims not to know. The American people may be seeing these absurdities for the first time, but Republicans on this dais are used to them. Until they secretly met with the whistleblower, Democrats showed little interest for the last three years in any topic aside from the ridiculous conspiracy theories that President Trump is a Russian agent. When you find yourself on the phone, like the Democrats did with Russian pranksters offering you nude pictures of Trump, and afterward you order your staff to follow up and get the photos, as the Democrats also did, then it might be time to ask yourself if you've gone out too far on a limb. Even as they were accusing Republicans of colluding with Russians, the Democrats themselves were colluding with Russians by funding the Steele dossier, which was based on Russian and Ukrainian sources. Meanwhile, they turn a blind eye to Ukrainians meddling in our elections because the Democrats were cooperating with that operation. This was the subject of a July 20th, 2017 letter sent by Senator Grassley to then Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. The letter raised concerns about the activities of Alexander Chalupa, a contractor for the Democratic National Committee, who worked with Ukrainian embassy officials to spread dirt on the Trump campaign. As Senator Grassley wrote, Chalupa's actions — quote, "'Chalupa's actions appear to show that she was simultaneously working on behalf of a foreign government, Ukraine, and on behalf of the DNC and the Clinton campaign, in an effort to influence not only the U.S. voting population, but U.S. government officials," unquote. After touting the still dossier and defending the FBI's Russia investigation, which are now being investigated by Inspector General Horowitz and Attorney General Barr, Democrats on this committee ignore Ukrainian election meddling, even though Chalupa publicly admitted to the Democrats' scheme. Likewise, they are blind to the blaring signs of corruption surrounding Hunter Biden's well-paid position on the board of a corrupt Ukrainian company, while his father served as vice president and point man for Ukraine issues in the Obama administration. But the Democrats' media hacks only cared about that issue briefly when they were trying to stop Joe Biden from running against Hillary Clinton in 2015.
0: That's Devin Nunez. He's the ranking Republican member on the House Intelligence Committee. The hearing is underway in the uh, House right now as the ranking member and the chairman, Adam Schiff, give their opening statements. Uh, Nunez, of course, very strongly making the point that the the Ukrainians did try to help Hillary Clinton. I I personally think that the evidence there isn't very strong. Uh, And I I think it's going to be interesting to see what the inspector general report says. You, You know, that report should have been out a long time ago. And it hadn't come out. Uh, And I'm starting to wonder where it is. And the Republicans now, Chuck Grassley and the Senator, are starting to grumble about where it is. Uh, Now, as this gets underway, we will float in and out of these hearings today on the program. Uh, I'm mindful, in fact, that. Uh, Some of the stations uh, could not otherwise give the coverage to it that they would like. I'm happy to do that for everyone this morning. Uh, There's a lot of other stuff going on, though. And, you know, there was the shooting in California, and even that got overshadowed by impeachment uh, yesterday. And uh, so much more out there. I don't think that this really helps the Democrats as much as they think. I think Yovanovitch winds up helping the Republicans because she does give them ammunition to fuel the claim that this is all about undermining the president's agenda. But there's something else there as well we should discuss. Uh, Democrats on Capitol Hill privately beginning to make the case that they haven't actually penetrated the public mind on this issue and they're not sure how to do it and they recognize that's a problem. Yes, you should text RECIPE to 33777 because I got my laptop back from Apple. Man, I priced out a fully loaded 16-inch MacBook Pro. That's like $6,000. I need to sell one of my kids, I guess. To... <laughs> no, I kid. I kid. Don't you people use that against me?
4: Well, Here, here's Devin
0: Nunez still of... talking.
4: Now the American people know the very first call uh, that President Trump had with President Zelensky. And with that, I yield back the balance of my time.
0: Mr. Chairman, I have a parliamentary inquiry. Oh, let's, let's listen. The
1: gentleman is not recognized. I do want to comment uh, and allow- Mr. I Chairman,
5: out. I have a point of order under H.R.E.S. 660.
1: The gentleman will state her point of order.
5: Uh, the point of order is will the chairman continue to prohibit witnesses
4: from answering Republican questions as you've done in closed hearings and as you did this week
1: when you interrupted our questions and so it begins
0: that's the the House Intelligence Committee hearing Elise Stefanik man, Democrats are lighting her up you know, I I gotta say just as an aside and and I really do want to get into other stuff but but we'll float in and out of this what's so interesting here is that the Republicans Republicans have put forward a number of women, including Kellyanne Conway, Elise Stefanik, and others, uh, and... The Democrats are savaging them The Democrats who say believe all women The Democrats who say we need to listen to the women The Democrats who say we need more women in charge The Republicans put forward these women And the Democrats are just savaging them In fact Matthew Dow The supposedly independent uh, political analyst For ABC News uh, Was savaging Elise Stefanik the other day And the same day or or, shortly after He was praising Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez For being a a, we need more millennial Women in Congress he said about AOC And about Elise Stefanik that uh, Just because you're millennial and a woman doesn't mean you have credibility what 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 is this Uh uh-oh jim jordan is yelling
1: we would ask the president to stop obstructing the impeachment inquiry and while we're grateful he has released a single document he has nonetheless obstructed witnesses and their testimony and the production of thousands and thousands of other records and finally i would say this mr president i hope you'll explain to the country today why it was after this call and while the vice president was making plans to attend the inauguration, you instructed the vice president not to attend Zelensky's inauguration.
5: Mr. Chairman, today, I, have today, Mr. chairman I have
1: a point of order. Mr. Chairman, I have a point
0: of order. Not recognized. Oh, my gosh. Uh, th- this is, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, Jim Jordan in there as well yelling at the chairman and they're pounding the gavel. They're, they're not happy. Jim Jordan, not wearing his jacket. We, uh, we may have to cut in and out of this just for the spectacle of it. And and poor old Marie Ivanovich is sitting there watching it all.
6: Uh,
0: Holy moly. When we come back though, I do have to talk about the Democrats not breaking through. I played you a little bit of the audio yesterday and behind the scenes, Democrats are grumbling. Now at, I got to tell you, I've only heard this from Republicans. I haven't talked to any of my Democratic friends on this. But I've heard it from enough of them to believe it's true that behind the scenes, some of the Democrats on the committee are recognizing that this actually isn't penetrating the American psyche, that the American people, they may be watching it, but it's kind of sailing over their head. There, there hasn't been a gotcha moment from any of these diplomats about the president, and they think they need that. And that explains Nancy Pelosi's impeachment reaction yesterday at her press conference where she wanted to make this all about patriotism and whatnot. We will explore all of this when we come back right here on The Eric Erickson Show. It's me. It's me. Um, we've got uh, Marie Ivanovich is testifying right now. Let's pull up the audio so we can hear her for a minute.
7: Continues to be our policy to help the Ukrainians achieve their objectives. They match our objective objectives. The U.S. See, no, 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 no. I'm the-
0: cutting the audio right here because I want you see it. it, it it helps us to match their objectives because it helps us match our objectives. That sounds like a diplomat who disagrees with the president and the direction the president wanted to take the country. Um it, the underlying thing here is that um these Democrats still believe and remember 90% of the State Department voted for Hillary Clinton. Um, The Democrats believe uh, fundamentally, the Democrats still believe that Donald Trump is a stooge to Vladimir Putin. They believe it in their bones. Nancy Pelosi is as much um, said. So
6: this had a story, a narrative about the president threatening to grant or withhold certain privileges, certain military assistance voted on by the Congress to Ukraine. Which is in our national interest to do so, because they were fighting the Russians. They've already lost over eleven thousand, twelve thousand, thirteen thousand people fighting the Russians. That's why I say, all roads lead to Putin. This.
0: So yeah. what would your no, sorry. uh Messing up my soundboard here. Uh, yeah, all roads lead to Putin. They believe this fundamentally, and the diplomatic corps believes this as well. And we know from Mueller that uh, this isn't true. The Mueller report exposed that this wasn't true, but they believe it as an article of faith. And you, you just hear this diplomat say, "What we were doing in Ukraine, it, it was in our interest against Russia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera." Well, here comes Donald Trump. He doesn't want to do it. Well, he must be bad. Let, let, okay, now I'll, I'll let her have some more say.
7: Rumbling democracy has an equally important challenge battling the Soviet legacy of corruption, which has pervaded Ukraine's government. Corruption makes Ukraine's leaders ever vulnerable to Russia, and the Ukrainian people understand that. That's why they launched the Revolution of Dignity in 2014, demanding to be a part of Europe, demanding the transformation of the system, demanding to live under the rule of law. Ukrainians wanted the law to apply equally to all people, whether the individual in question is the president or any other citizen. It was a question of fairness, of dignity. Here again, there is a coincidence of interests. Corrupt leaders are inherently less trustworthy, while an honest and accountable Ukrainian leadership makes a U.S.-Ukrainian partnership more reliable and more valuable to the United States. A level playing field in this strategically located country bordering four NATO allies creates an environment in which US business can more easily trade, invest, and profit. Corruption is also a security issue because corrupt officials are vulnerable to Moscow. In short, it is in America's national security interest to help Ukraine transform into a country where the rule of law governs and corruption.
0: Yeah, I'm just, I'm stopping it there because I I just, I wanna further make this point. I don't think these are helpful lines for the Democrats to take, uh, because it allows the Republicans, if they really want to impeach the president for doing something wrong, what this does is it allows the Republicans uh, to actually say, look, these people just didn't like the direction the president was taking the country's foreign policy. And if that's the case, then I, I have a hard time understanding why we're going to impeach the president of the United States over a policy disagreement when the president was lawfully elected to be able to chart a different course for American foreign policy.
7: sought to remove me. What continues to amaze me is that they found Americans willing to partner with them and working together, they apparently succeeded in orchestrating the removal of a U.S. ambassador. How could our system fail like this? How is it that foreign corrupt interests could manipulate our government? Which country's interests are served when the very corrupt behavior we have been criticizing is allowed to prevail? Such conduct undermines the U.S., exposes our friends and widens the playing field for autocrats like President Putin. Our leadership depends on the power of our example and the consistency of our purpose. Both have now been opened to question.
0: But what does that have to do with impeachment? Uh-huh. What does that have to do with high crimes and misdemeanors? Uh, that uh, she believes that uh, these outside voices were able to influence American foreign policy. These outside voices were corrupt. Uh, therefore, the the president is bad for believing them, and that's why she got fired because the president believed it. But that's not a high crime. It's not a misdemeanor. It's not an abuse of office. The president had the power to remove her. The, how does this get to the
8: 20, quid pro quo?
7: There are a number of events you are investigating to which I cannot bring any firsthand knowledge. Uh-huh. The events that predated my Ukraine service include the release of the so-called Black Ledger and Mr. Manafort's subsequent resignation from President Trump's campaign, and the departure from office of former Prosecutor General Viktor Shokin. Several other events occurred after I returned from Ukraine. These include President Trump's July 25th, 2019, call with President Zelensky, the discussions surrounding that phone call, and any discussions surrounding the delay of security assistance to Ukraine in the summer of 2019. As for events during my tenure in Ukraine, I want to to reiterate first that the allegation that I disseminated a do-not-prosecute list was a fabrication. Mr. Lutsenko, the former Ukrainian prosecutor general who made that allegation, has acknowledged that the list never existed. I did not tell Mr. Lutsenko or other Ukrainian officials who they should or should not prosecute. Instead, I advocated the U.S. position that rule of law should prevail, and Ukrainian law enforcement, prosecutors, and judges should stop wielding their power selectively as a political weapon against their adversaries and start dealing with all consistently and according to the law. Also untrue are unsourced allegations that I told unidentified embassy employees or Ukrainian officials that President Trump's orders should be ignored because he was going to be impeached or for any other reason. I did not and I would not say such a thing. Such statements would be inconsistent with my training as a foreign service officer and my role as an ambassador. The Obama administration did not ask me to help the the Clinton campaign or harm the Trump campaign, nor would I have taken any such steps if they had. Partisanship of this type is not compatible with the role of a career Foreign Service officer. I have never met Hunter Biden, nor have I had any direct or indirect conversations with him. And although I have met former Vice President Biden several times over the course of our many years in government service, neither he nor the previous administration ever raised the issue of either Burisma or Hunter Biden with me. With respect to Mayor Giuliani, I have had only minimal contact with him, a total of three, none related to the events at issue. I do not understand Mr. Giuliani's motives for attacking me nor can I offer an opinion on whether he believed the allegations he spread about me. Clearly, no one at the State Department did. What I can say is that Mr. Giuliani should have known those claims were suspect, coming, as they reportedly did, from individuals with questionable motives and with reason to believe that their political and financial ambitions would be stymied by our anti-corruption policy in Ukraine. After being asked by the Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs in early March 2019 to extend my tour until 2020, the smear campaign against me entered a new public phase in the United States. In the wake of the negative press, state but department officials suggested an earlier departure, and we agreed upon July 2019. I was then abruptly told, just weeks later in late April, to come back to Washington from Ukraine on the next plane. At the time I departed, Ukraine had just concluded game-changing presidential elections. It was a sensitive period, with much at stake for the United States, and called for all the experience and expertise we could muster. When I returned to the United States, Deputy Secretary of State Sullivan told me there had been a concerted campaign against me that the president no longer wished me to serve as ambassador to Ukraine and that in fact the president had been pushing for my removal since the prior summer. As Mr. Sullivan recently recounted during his Senate confirmation hearing, neither he nor anyone else ever explained or sought to justify the president's concerns about me, nor did anyone in the department justify my early departure by suggesting I had done something wrong.
0: All right, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna fade out of this. This is Marie Yovanovitch who is testifying before the House Intelligence Committee, the impeachment inquiry today. A couple of notable points here is that she really doesn't have any information about the president's call and the quid pro quo. Uh, I, I think her claim should be troublesome in that it sounds like she fundamentally believes, and there's plenty of evidence to suggest that, in fact, uh, corrupt powers in Ukraine, wanted to hang on to power, uh, wanted to influence the president and influence those around the president, knowing how the president works, and I. I gotta tell you it, it is there is truth to the fact that the president often conducts his own inquiries via cell phone he has lots of phone calls at night uh from the white house uh he's called me uh before he calls uh, he, uh, only once uh like that he, he calls lots of people spends lots of time talking on the phone he talks to lots of friends he watches people on fox news he finds those voices influential and so if you're able to 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 push a story and get on tv uh then you got a situation where I think the uh, the president can be persuaded, and this is Marie Yovanovitch's contention, is that people led an organized effort uh, from Ukraine to have her smeared with the president because she was a U.S. diplomat committed to helping Ukraine oust corrupt influences that were Russia-backed, uh, Putin-backed corrupt interests, and those people were successful against her with the president, and it all comes back to a number of people feeding stories to Rudy Giuliani. Okay. Let's take that all as true. How is that impeachable? How is that impeachable? I I think we need to consider uh, that that is not necessarily an impeachable thing. And, and, then we got all the other stuff, including the hearsay stuff. Um, and by the way, I don't buy the hearsay stuff, the Sixth Amendment stuff. Um, that applies to criminal trials. This is a political process. It doesn't apply. But nonetheless, uh, we've got the Democratic pushback, and, and uh, we got the Republicans pointing out that uh, none of these people have had contact with the president. They don't know the president's state of mind. It, it's secondhand and thirdhand stuff. And she herself acknowledged that she had no firsthand information on any of this stuff. Here's Mark Meadows, uh, congressman from uh, Southern North Carolina. Uh, right there uh, just north of the the Young Harris area. Congressman Meadows, a good guy, represents that area. Here he is from yesterday.
3: Here we've got the third witness now that's coming in, Sean. And what I've found is none of those witnesses have ever met Donald Trump. And so when when you have a a real conversation with him, you start to say, well, golly, uh, you know, why are they actually the star witnesses? Now, tomorrow, it's even better than that. The ambassador who's coming in wasn't there during the phone call, wasn't there when the aide was suspended. You know where she was? She was at Georgetown. And so we got Nancy Pelosi talking about bribery. Well, the only bribery that's going to take place
0: is where she has to bribe the American people to believe the story that they're spinning. Yep. Uh, th- this whole bribery thing from from Pelosi. Just so you hear this, I'll, I will get to why she's saying this. But the Democrats clearly they're seizing on this. Actually, I, I mean, I'll just give away the game up front. The reason that they're they're seizing on the bribery thing is because it's in the Constitution. Quid pro quo is not bribery; is there, and no one understands what quid pro quo means, particularly in light of Democrats. A great montage that circulated; we played it here, showing the Democrats were saying we are going to hold American money up so to coerce Israel and other countries to shift an American foreign policy. One of them was on climate change. You had Cory Booker say we would hold American money back unless certain countries did things. It's really striking. Here's Pelosi on bribery. You talked
6: about bribery a second ago. Yes, a bribery. That's a very serious charge. It is, what in, is in the Constitution. Reason? Well, you know, uh, we're talking Latin around here, e pluribus unum from anyone, from anyone. Quid pro quo, bribery. Bribery. And that is in the Constitution attached to the impeachment proceedings.
7: So what was the bribe here?
6: The bribe is to grant or withhold military assistance in return for a public statement of a uh, uh, of a fake investigation into uh, the, the elections. So could we that's be a, that's bribery. At, could yes.
0: Are looking at an article of impeachment?
6: Well, I don't know about that. We don't even haven't even made a decision to impeach. That's what the inquiry is about. And when the the committees decide that, and they will decide what the articles are. But I am saying. Uh, That what is uh, the president has admitted to and says it's perfect, I said it's perfectly wrong. It's bribery
0: bribery bribery she's got to say it because it's in the constitution no one understands what quid pro quo is but i have a hard time seeing how you convict the president on bribery when bribery is the giving of money uh when someone does something and the president did give money to ukraine but they didn't do anything and the money that he gave to ukraine was money lawfully appropriated by congress uh so is the president going to get impeached for giving tax refunds back to the american public because congress authorizes tax refunds back to the american public the president gives you tax refunds so is the president bribing you that's essentially what nancy pelosi is arguing that when the president gives a country money that Congress has appropriated, then he's bribing them. To do something, and what what happened with that? They they didn't actually do anything. This is the problem here, folks. Listen, I uh, I think the president should never have brought up Biden, and I think if this were a year ago, I would have more trouble with what he did, uh, and we should all be bothered by the fact the president never seemed to care about Biden and Burisma until after Joe Biden became the Democratic nominee. That is a big red flag, and it is amazing that the Democrats have not seized on that particular issue more than they have, but. We're less than a year from the election. If the Democrats want to engage in this fishing expedition, do it and make your case to the American people. But let the election deal with this. You got a bunch of people who do not trust Congress, who believe there is a coup. I think the coup talking point is stupid, but you got a ton of people who believe it. The Democrats are playing into that narrative. Let the voters decide this. Then we can accuse each other of stealing the election as opposed to accusing Congress of launching a coup, which they're not doing. But we got less than a year to go. There's no reason to rush this. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I still don't think if you're going to impeach the president of the United States, doing it over a phone call where he got nothing doesn't seem to make sense to me. It seems like this is all part of Trump derangement syndrome. You're all going to feel inferior when I give you this news. I myself, though, feel inferior with this news. We can all, we can all agree on our inferiority. A child prodigy from Belgium is on course to gain a bachelor's degree. He's nine. Laurent Simmons is studying electrical engineering at eindhoven University of Technology, TUE, a tough course even for students of an average graduate age, described by staff as simply extraordinary, Laurent is on course to finish his degree in December. He then plans to embark on a PhD program in electrical engineering while also studying for a medicine degree. His parents, Lydia and Alexandra Simmons, say they thought Laurent's grandparents were exaggerating when they said he had a gift, but his teachers soon concurred. They noticed something special about him. Laurent was given test after test as teachers tried to work out the extent of his talents. They told us he's like a sponge, his dad said. He comes from a family of doctors. His parents have so far uh, not received any explanation for a while why the child prodigy is capable of learning so quickly. The mom says she ate a lot of fish during pregnancy. She thinks that's it. Uh, this is this is extraordinary. I have to admit, I'm always skeptical when I hear these stories. I I always am skeptical when I hear stories of nine-year-olds getting bachelor degrees and headed off to Ph.D. programs and and getting medicine. uh, My first reaction is Doogie Howser. My second reaction is, "Ah, is this real? But uh, this is a CNN report, which for some of you, (laughs) I realize you'll say, "Huh, it's fake news. But this is documented, and he is in school, and he is nine years old, and he's about to get his bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. Am I allowed to say that it's Belgium's? <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be insulted here, but I think it is a Belgian electrical engineering degree worth its salt? I, I mean, hey, I don't know. But he's going into a PhD program. Now, now this kid says he wants, to, uh, he wants to develop artificial organs. That's what he wants to do with his life, develop artificial organs. Um, we'll see how this goes. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, meanwhile, back in Congress, Adam Schiff continuing to question Marie Yovanovitch, uh, the former ambassador to Ukraine. Yes.
1: And finally, Ambassador, in that July 25th phone call... The President praises one of these corrupt former Ukrainian prosecutors and says they were treated very unfairly. They were treated unfairly. Not you, who was smeared and recalled, but one of them. What message does that send to your colleagues in the U.S. Embassy in Kiev?
7: I'm just not sure what the basis for that kind of a statement would be. Certainly not from our reporting over years.
1: Did you have concern, though, or do you have concern today about what message the president's action sends to the people who are still in Ukraine, representing the United States, when a well-respected ambassador can be smeared out of her post um, with the participation and acquiescence of the president of the United States?
7: Well, it's, uh, I think, been a a big hit for morale, uh, both at U.S. Embassy Kyiv, but also more broadly uh, in the State Department.
0: I, I, again, what does this have to do with impeachment? That's part of the problem here. What, what does it have to do with high crimes and misdemeanors? The president has the power, the ambassador serves as will. This reminds me of the Democrats getting upset when George W. Bush fired the U.S. ambassadors and they said he didn't have the power when he did. Uh, that That sounds very similar to something like this. We're going to move on to other things when we come back. Over a hundred million people have had their personal information stolen in data breaches, social security numbers, contact details, credit scores, so much more, all taken from Capital One customers. There's a good chance you were affected. These kinds of attacks are getting more frequent and more severe, and it's not just Capital One. Equifax, Facebook, eBay, Uber, PlayStation, Yahoo, they've all had uh, leaked password issues, credit card issues, bank number issues. In fact, I had to get a new debit card last week it just showed up in the house with a note saying one of the online vendors uh, had information compromised. And so you need to use something like ExpressVPN to help ignore this stuff. You can't control how big corporations mishandle your data. You need to understand that. But you can protect yourself. ExpressVPN is an app for your computer and phone. It encrypts and secures your data. If a breach can happen to Capital One, it can happen to you. Now, you won't don't want to go online without ExpressVPN. And if you care about your privacy and safety, You really need ExpressVPN. It connects with just a click. It's lightning fast. It costs less than 7 bucks a month. And it's the number one VPN provider by TechRadar, CNET, The Verge, countless others. Use my special link, expressvpn.com slash Eric. Right now, arm yourself with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show. Protect yourself. Get ExpressVPN. That's expressvpn.com slash Eric for an extra three months. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. You want to call in? The phone lines are open. 877-97 Eric. 877-973-7425. Marie Ivanovich is being questioned by Daniel Goldman, the Democratic Council. Uh, I, I'm moving on to other things. I, I think you'll allow I I gotta I gotta start with this. I find this fascinating. Those of you outside the Atlanta area can be fortunate you have probably never encountered an Ikea. Ikea reminds me of what hell is probably like at some level. Uh, in, in Dante's Inferno, there are levels of hell, and I think, I think scripture, in fact, um, hints that there are levels, of re- a series of rewards and punishments, levels of heaven and levels of hell. Um, Christian theology supports that idea, and, and at the, the outer levels of hell, you're just, you're, you're outside the realm of God. You, you are inside the chaos. You, you may not burn for all eternity, but you're not getting into the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's going to be a rough life without God. And I kind of think that's what Ikea is like. If you go into Ikea, y'all, I don't get panic attacks. I don't, but I get panic attacks in Ikea because there's basically one way in and one way out. And you have to go through this elaborate maze of crap furniture to get out it is super cheap furniture most of it is plyboard um you put it together yourself you load it in your, you haul it out to your car you put it together yourself you can get cheap stuff i've got an office uh chair that is from ikea it's held up fairly well but the things like cardboard and, and and um plyboard well in 2013 this is just coming out i don't know why but it is is 2013 Turns out, uh, okay. I gotta I gotta do a better job of describing IKEA for you. When you get into the, the Atlanta IKEA is the only one I've ever been into. It's the only one I ever want to go into. I do not like IKEA. My Swedish people go in for the meatballs and leave. Um, my my fellow Swedes, you, you 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 can go get you can go get some some food and then leave. Um, rutrow, um, so. You go into Ikea and you're confronted with escalators and they only go up. There's no down escalator there. And so you go up into the showroom floor and you first encounter like the living room stuff. And you walk through all the living room and you get into the entertainment center stuff. And then you get through the entertainment center stuff. You get into the dining room stuff. I'm getting a panic attack. just describing this. And then you get into this expansive area and you've got kitchen stuff. First, you've got the the area where you can get like cheap washing machines and, and you can get cabinetry and all this stuff. And then you get into the expansive area and you can get towels and plates and all this other stuff. And then it narrows back down. And you get into the bedroom section. It's like walking through a haunted house. There's one way in and one way out, and and you get a panic you get panicked the whole way through. Waiting. There are crowds and they mill about everywhere. I mean, these people they 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 mill about on they, they have bedding. You can go try out the bedding. People lay on the beds. And then you get into an expansive room and they have the big beds and the mattresses and it narrows down again and you get the kids' furniture stuff and you get the plastic. And then eventually you get the down escalator where you descend further down into the caverns of hell that is Ikea to the warehouse level. And you see, as you're going through the upper, upper areas, you see all the furniture on display and they have little tags. Um, Hey, uh, wait, wait, wait! I got to give you a sense of this, just just so you understand. Um, they have all the, these these cutesy little names for things. Their cutesy little furniture, and so let's see. Up, um, oh, we have a living room chair, and it looks fancy on the website for IKEA. And by the way, they they do this because they want you to go to their website. They don't want you to go to their actual place. And up, oh, they've got the. Echadalen table, yep, the Echadalen table. You can get the Echadalen table in the white or you can get it in the black, yeah, you got the round the Ingatorp the Ingatorp table is the round table. They got the Ingatorp table in the black, they got the Ingatorp table in the white. You can get the Lerham table, the, the Lerham table and the Landberg table. Nordviken you can get the Nordviken table if you want you can get the Nordviken table in the in the brown it's 349 dollars and it's extendable And so what you do is is you get the you get the little barcode and you write down the little number you get you they give you little golf pencils and pieces of paper and you write down the code and you go downstairs to the warehouse level of IKEA hell And you find it gives you an aisle and it gives you a shelf. And you get that. You put it in your buggy and off you go. And when you get through warehouse hell, then you come to like the the, the discount dollar general hell of Ikea where you can get fake flowers and light bulbs and stuff. And finally, miracle of miracles, you get to the checkout stand and there are 3,000 checkout lanes and two of them open. Kind of like going to Walmart on Black Friday but worse. And you check out of Ikea and you load your car and you take Xanax and you sit in your car and you decompress. And I'm having a panic attack just thinking about all of this. Ikea is Swedish hell. The Swedes are nice, but, you know, it's kind of like that. What was that midsummer movie, the the horror movie that came out this summer where the kids go to Sweden to to a a May Day festival? And it turns out that they're all going to get killed or some such. I didn't see the movie. I don't watch horror movies. Ikea is basically going to a living horror movie. And it turns out. I did all of that to get to this story from 2013. This is how badly I don't want to talk about impeachment. In 2013, a soap opera was filmed in Ikea without the store knowing about it. And and the reason I had to explain to you how Ikea works and how you got to tread through is because the security people can't find their way through Ikea either. So they would have no knowledge that a soap opera was being filmed in an Ikea. In fact, there's a, a thing where teenagers try to sneak into Ikea and sleep. They, they can hide in the store because the stores are so maze-like and cavernous. You can hide in the store, wait for it to close, and then sneak upstairs and sleep. And, and teens have been trying to do this around the world. Well, Ikea wasn't aware of this, that they filmed 7 episodes uh, arc of a soap opera. They called it Ikea Heights. It was filmed in a Burbank, California, Ikea There's so many people who come in and out of these stores, and they all mill about, and they're all doing stuff, and they all lay all over the furniture. The people in Ikea just thought it was people coming to check out the furniture, and it turns out there were people with cameras, and they were filming a soap opera. Now... I bring this up as inspiration. Challenge accepted. We've got Ikea stores in Georgia now, and they're as awful as all the other ones. Someone should try to sneak into the Ikea. you got entire film crews now. My buddy Jeremiah, if you're listening, I I, I think this is uh, – Jeremiah is involved in, in the film industry. I think uh, challenge accepted. You should try this. You should try to sneak people into an Ikea to film a, an episode of a soap opera, and that should be it. The attempt to sneak into the Ikea to film a soap opera could be the entire – Entire premise of the reality TV series. I'm a genius. I should get paid royalties for that idea. And this is just wow. All right, one story down to avoid impeachment. <laughs> Y'all, okay. This is the problem. Are you tired of impeachment? Because I'm already tired of impeachment, and we're only this is the second day. And I feel like, a, a, as your host, the Eric Erickson Show. I also do a news news show. I feel compelled. To cover the story, but I'm exhausted by the story. It's not going to wind up getting the president impeached. I, I, part of me wants to declare an impeachment-free zone for the show where we don't even talk about it, but I feel compelled to because it is a news item. I know there are local stations who host this show who expect that I will give you, bring you up to speed on the news and – Holy moly. It's just, it's exhausting and it's going to go nowhere, but we're going to move on right now to other stuff, including Brandon Beach. He is the uh, state senator for the Woodstock area in Cherokee County. He was running for U.S. House of Representatives in the 6th Congressional District against Lucy McBath. He was in a five-way primary with Karen Handel and several other people, and he has decided to drop out of the race and stay in the state Senate. Uh, I was supporting Michael Caldwell for the state Senate. And I, I'm, I, I think I'm going to stick with Michael Caldwell. Michael Caldwell is a good friend of mine. Uh, and Michael Caldwell is a solid conservative as much as like Brandon beach. Uh, Michael Caldwell made the gamble. And I I think I got to go with Michael Caldwell, even though Brandon beach is a good guy. Um, uh, I will stick with Michael on that one. Um, but this this goes to show you the clout of the National Republicans. The National Republicans are desperate to take the seat back from Lucy McBath, but it's not in their top ten seats. They think Karen Handel has a better shot against Lucy McBath than anyone else. They don't think any of the other candidates will actually be able to get the nomination, and in so doing, um, that frees them up and their resources to just focus on Karen Handel. They weren't going to take a position between Karen Handel and between Brandon B. They needed to do something, but they couldn't as long as Brandon Beach was in there. Brandon Beach says he talked to the governor, and the governor kind of convinced him to get out of it. The governor, by the way, says he's closing off the Senate nominations. Uh, I believe next week will be the deadline for people to get their Senate nominations in. Uh, He will make a decision thereafter. I've had several people, in fact, I did a live event in McDonough, Georgia, last night at Kirby G's. Great hamburger place in in McDonough. And a number of people were asking, when's he going to make the pick? When's he going to make the pick? I don't have any insider knowledge on when Governor Kemp is going to make the pick uh, for the U.S. Senate seat to replace Johnny Isaacson. However, that being said, I do believe it's going to happen uh, sooner rather than later now as he closed off the nomination process. There was no reason to do it sooner than now, in large part because it would give the Democrats time to gather opposition research and try to define the guy before that guy could define himself. It's one of those weird situations where Johnny Isaacson is going to stay in the Senate until the end of the year. Now, I will tell you, there is talk behind the scenes That Isaacson may choose to leave earlier if Kemp gives a good nomination, uh, makes a good appointment. But otherwise, it's going to be December 31st. So there's been no reason for Kemp to make a pick earlier when Isaacson wasn't going to leave so that the Democrats could spend their time beating up this person. I don't know who he's gonna gonna pick. Robin Crittenden, who uh, Governor Deal had put in charge of what um, he, DHS, and then she moved over to be acting Secretary of State after Brian Kemp stepped aside when he rent won the governor's race. Uh, she has put her name into that. I don't know that it will be her. Um, she is undoubtedly Republican and undoubtedly pro-life, uh, but there are some people who don't think she could be a she would be a strong candidate. She doesn't have a track record of fundraising. She doesn't have a a track record of um, being a candidate. They want to find someone who they at least have a feel for who could be a strong candidate and has a good fundraising operation already because whoever this is is going to have to hit the ground running. We will see. I don't know what he's going to do. Um, now, uh, I, I will circle back right now just so you can hear it so that you, even though I want to avoid it, I know I can't. Um, Marie Ivanovich, She's testifying. In the House of Representatives, before the House Intelligence Committee, Daniel Goldman is the Democratic counsel. He's asking her questions.
2: Tax against you, which you referenced in your opening statement, including that you had badmouthed the president and had given the prosecutor general a do-not-prosecute list. There was another that included allegations of Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election... And then there was a third that related to allegations concerning Burisma and the Bidens. Is that, is that accurate?
0: Yeah. And that has nothing to do with impeachment, so we will move on from there. They're just trying to go after the president because they disagree with his foreign policy. When we come back, I, go- I want to step on out. I want to do a big reset here uh, because the Democrats are coming to Georgia next week. They're going to have the Democratic debate. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is coming to Georgia. He intends to make a big play for um, black voters in Georgia. And it turns out that the Democratic officials and the Democratic candidates who are running against Pete, B- Pete Buttigieg do not like him. Uh, They're all very condescending to him behind the scenes. They think he's an upstart millennial. They resent him for running. Uh, Democrats are are savaging him. And interestingly enough, gay rights groups are savaging Pete Buttigieg as he comes to Georgia next week. And as he now leads in the polling in Iowa, the implications of all this Georgia focus for the Democrats when we come back. Just full disclosure here. I have turned off the the live feed from the House Ways and Means Committee room where the House Intelligence Committee is, is meeting. That may sound a little bit confusing. But the House Intelligence Committee was expecting a crowd. So they're using the House Ways and Means Committee Room in the Longworth House Office Building. It's the largest of the committee rooms, and they wanted to be able to have as many people and press in there as possible. So that's where they're meeting. I've I've turned off the live feed from it. It it is a distraction to me. I I had so many other things I wanted to talk about, and while I feel obligated to cover it, um, it's just kind of frustrating to listen to. Because it's not really about impeachment. It's about people not liking the direction the president was heading. They, they question his motives for doing it, which is understandable. And and I'm frankly, I think he was badly misled by Rudy Giuliani and others. And they will be made the fall guys for this. But uh, this really isn't related to impeachment as much as the Democrats say it is. She admits she had no knowledge of the phone call, quid pro quo or anything else like that. Uh, I want to move on to the Democrats coming to Atlanta next week uh, for their um, for their debate. In fact, there is uh, the AJC now in Atlanta is keeping up an ongoing ticker for this debate, and uh, they want you to be able to tune in and cover the debate. I'm trying to find now. Where is their. Well, they uh, I I guess I'm blocking it in some way. I'm running something on my computer that's blocking their ticker, but it's about five days left before the debate. Well, it is five days because it's on the twentieth, and uh, there's a report out that these Democrats are planning on ganging up on Pete Buttigieg when they come. Uh, Joseph Simonson at the Washington Examiner has the story. Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren have been debate targets, a rival 2020 Democrats at campaign face office. Now, now it may be Pete Buttigieg's turn. That's hard to say, by the way. Pete Buttigieg's turn. Buttigieg's turn. The Atlanta debate on Wednesday, sponsored by the Democratic National Committee, offers opponents of the South Bend, Indiana mayor a chance to take him down a peg after some polls have shown the 37-year-old surging. His rise less than three months out from the first nominating contest, the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary have moved him closer to the top tier of 2020 Democrats, which include Biden, Warren and Sanders. A Monmouth University poll released this week found Buttigieg leading the rest of the Democratic field in Iowa with 22% support, a 14% increase since the same poll was conducted in August. A Real Clear Politics average on primary polls has his support at 19.7%, a statistical tie with Elizabeth Warren in Iowa. There's no question he'll receive attacks in the upcoming Democratic debate. Biden was the target in the first debate. And Warren last time, Aaron Call, director of debate at the University of Michigan, told the Washington Examiner, The polls are important, but the amount and kind of attention Buttigieg gets will kind of serve as an accurate representation of what the candidates really think of him. Now, here are problems um, for Buttigieg. He doesn't have a lot of black support, and that will be overwhelming within the Democratic primary. Now, if he begins to rise and further capture attention, he'll be able to get some. The problem for Buttigieg, though, and and there's no way to to dance around this diplomatically, is Buttigieg is uh, a millennial, white, married, gay male from southern Indiana. Being... White gay married doesn't translate well with black Democratic voters. And there is inordinate pushback on this point, uh, but it is Buttigieg's own data that shows this. He conducted a focus group in South Carolina, and that focus group showed that Buttigieg, uh, his lifestyle doesn't play well with black voters, most of whom, it should be noted, really don't care that he's gay. What they care about is that they will have to be confronted with it regularly. There, It's one thing, and again, there's, there's no way to dance around this uh, diplomatically, but I'm the guy who always says people want to shout you down so they make you think you're isolated and alone and, and you can't say things, and, and I should be the one who can say things that no one else can say, and maybe this gets me in trouble for saying, but it's his own freaking data. It's not me. It's his data. His data from his South Carolina focus group shows that voter black voters in South Carolina don't care that he's gay. What they care about is that it's in your face. Uh, they don't like the fact that they will be confronted constantly by media attention, gobsmacked by the idea that we have a married gay millennial white male running for president. They don't like his race relations history in Indiana. Uh, They don't care that he's gay. They just don't want to be confronted with and have to talk to their kids about and and have made a central part of the campaign his sexuality and and his marriage. Uh, Most black voters in this country still are socially conservative. They may not say so to the pollsters, but fundamentally, institutionally they are. And it matters to them. And as a result of it mattering to them, it matters to Pete Buttigieg because Pete Buttigieg will need particularly black women's support to get himself the nomination nation and black women right now are going with, um, with, uh, Joe Biden. But, but here's the thing, Iowa is overwhelmingly white people. Uh, Iowa is one of the whitest States in the nation. And I am so white. I am an expert on white, white people in, in white States in this country. I mean, I, I am. So wh- listen, y'all, I have two shades. I have burn and I have white, uh, there is no tanning on me. I might freckle, but I put on white socks. They disappear. All my socks are colored because I'm so white. You can't find them. I mean, I am the ultimate camouflage for whiteness because you, you I mean, it just, I, I, I get white and Bootages, he is a white dude. He is, and he's going to Iowa, which is overwhelmingly white people. And white people do not care. In fact, Buttigieg is a thing that rich white people like. Rich white people love Pete Buttigieg. It's just that the dominating voices in the Democratic primary will not be rich white people. It'll be middle-class white people, and it will be black voters. And black voters have a problem with Pete Buttigieg. And the other candidates, seeing him soaring in Iowa, want to take him down a notch with those voters. And they're going to try right here in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Do you know what the fish says when it hits a wall? Dam. We need to talk about them. Not fish, dams. We need to talk about dams. Uh, Georgia leads the nation in nearly 200 dams in unsatisfactory or poor condition, according to a new study by the Associated Press. Uh, North Carolina comes in second. Georgia has 198 high-hazard dams in poor or unsatisfactory condition, the highest number among all states for which the Associated Press has obtained data. North Carolina was second with 168, followed by Pennsylvania with 145, Mississippi with 132, Ohio with 124, South Carolina with 108. One of those dams is reservoir number one in Atlanta, "...a 180 million gallon water supply dating to the late 1800s. It has been out of service much of the past decade. The city repaired it and brought it back online in 2017. They shut it down again after leaks were noticed." If the dam were to fail, the water could inundate more than a thousand homes, dozens of businesses, a railroad, and part of I-75 going through downtown Atlanta. Uh, my buddy Joel Iverson is the uh, co-founder of Monday Night Brewing in Atlanta. And Monday Night Brewing sits right behind Reservoir Number 1. Um, he said if that one goes down, it's going to wash away us and a lot of beer. <laughs> <laughs> that is a typical quote from, from Joel. and you know, they've got water in the thing. They haven't drained it. They've still got it. Uh, some states couldn't give an explanation. Others haven't rated their dams. Uh, billions are needed, according to bureaucrats who make money off of fixing dams. And that's not to downplay the issue. But here's the problem. The problem is. Is that many of these dams are on private property, and while they can be um, they can be inspected, the state has the right to come on your property if you decide to build a a. Let's just say you want to build a lake on your property. You've got a, a creek that runs through. You want to dig out around it because one day I want to do this. I want to buy land one day. I need I, I need to win the lottery one day. Because I want to, I want a lot of land, so I don't have any neighbors, so no one can harass me for something I said on radio that or TV that they don't like. And I want to build a big house. I have built my house in my head. I've had it there for years. I'm ready to put it on the ground instead of in my head. And I want to surround it with a lake, not a moat, just just have an L-shaped lake, so to speak, um, with the creek running through and 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 put up a dam to make it happen. But if I do, you got to get contracts. You, you got to get paperwork. You got to get authority. You got to get certifications. The EPA has to get involved. The Corps of Engineers gets involved. They make it more and more expensive for this to do. It's a rich man's game, which is why I got to win the lottery. But then they get the right to come out and inspect the dam and make sure the dam's going okay, make sure things are good. But they don't have the resources to be able to inspect them all. They do do some inspections, but then a lot of them are on private property, and it's the private property owners who are responsible for it. And there can be leaks uh, that cause the, that suggest the dam might be failing internally. There's erosion. The burrowing animals can get in there. Tree roots can destabilize them. A lot of these things are they are earthen dams. They're they're piled up dirt to make the dam. Uh, spillways can get congested; they can't handle large overflows. Some dams get overgrown with vegetation, so they can't actually be fully inspected. Uh, in 1982, the Corps of Engineers said most dam owners were unwilling to modify, repair, or maintain structures. And since then, every state except Alabama has created a dam safety program. <laughs> a dam safety program. Alabama didn't want to create no dam safety program. <laughs>
8: <laughs> of course not. Nope. No dam safety program for us. We're in Alabama. <laughs> but um the 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 states don't necessarily have money to 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 inspect all the dams they need to inspect. They
0: just they they don't have enough dams to 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 Somebody, I could get myself in trouble. I apologize. I'm sorry. Uh, trust me, I am a professional. But nonetheless, uh, something's got to be done in Georgia about this. And But, I mean, consider, as much as we want to focus on uh, it's the private dams, that are whispered under people's breath that that are in trouble. Uh, It's the public dams uh, like the Atlanta reservoir that, that are really that could take out a lot of people because there aren't a lot of private reservoirs, except for companies, old mill factories and whatnot uh, with dams in Atlanta. This one is, it's a public owned facility by the city of Atlanta and the thing's been leaking water. They, they still have water in it and it could wipe out thousands of homes. And it's something that the state is going to have to consider and inspect and and look at. Uh, all right. I'm going to move on from that now. Uh, I want to move on to some national stories. But before I get there, there's one more Georgia story that I just, I, I, I find this amazing. Uh, this is from WRDW, which is in Augusta, Georgia. It is their news outlet there, CBS Affiliate. Uh, the tape was rolling when a 911 dispatcher's microphone accidentally went live. She seemingly admitted to getting high on the job, but Augusta 911 says it's all a misunderstanding. It sparked a twofold investigation, first by the Augusta 911 officials, who turned it over to the city's legal department. The city has not named the dispatcher, and neither is WR. What is it? Uh, WRDW. That's channel. Uh, news 12 in augusta the roughly 20 second recording continues with what sounds like a second voice responding to the dispatcher ain't that bad the dispatcher begins to laugh afterwards then a brief pause happens in which someone from augusta fire clicks the dispatch clicks and says dispatch you got an open mic the dispatcher adds 10-4 acknowledging she's now aware of what happened the incident happened at 1001 AM Tuesday. At that time it appeared there were no conflicting 911 emergencies. News twelve checked the ARC E911 Twitter page. The only incidents happened around the time of the dispatcher mishap were a traffic hazard. The employee was in a conversation with two other employees of the 911 Center, wherein the recorded employee was quoted was quoting what a third party, non employee had said to her when her microphone went live. Here's the full statement. Uh, The 911 center is aware of an incident in which a dispatcher was heard on a radio saying, and you know what I love about this too, I get to smoke weed. Ain't that bad. The 911 Center has done a thorough investigation of the matter. It has determined the employee was in a conversation with two other employees, wherein the recorded employee was quoting what a third-party non-employee had said to her when her microphone went live for an unknown reason. All employees involved in the conversation were interviewed and corroborated the facts. Uh, There were no observations concerning the employee's appearance, behavior, speech, or body odor that could lead to reasonable suspicion that the employee was under the influence of marijuana. Additionally, 911 center dispatchers, including the employee, are safety-sensitive positions subject to monthly random drug uh, testing, and there's never been a problem with the employee. So, you're confused, I suspect. I was, too. 911 employees are sitting around. 911 employee A... Tells 911 employee B, uh, overheard on a live microphone, I get to smoke weed. Employee B says, ain't that bad. Well, someone happened to be listening to this. Uh, The microphone was open, and I bet I know who it was. It was the media. It was the media. With their scanners, with their police scanners. You know, so back when I was a kid growing up in rural Louisiana, I mean, I grew up in way rural Louisiana, East Feliciana Parish, and... We would come home in the summer from Dubai. We would stay at my grandparents, and they had a police scanner. Now, this was back in the analog days. And you get a cheap scanner from the Sears and Roebuck catalog, and they had, and you could listen, and you would know what was going on in the county or in the parish. Um, you, could, you could hear your friends. In fact, I remember one night, uh, family friend, Cliff, uh, he was at a stoplight and happened to see another sheriff's deputy who did not see him. Cliff was running a speed trap, so he went and w- right there at the stop sign. But he saw another uh, sheriff's deputy run the s- run the stop sign, and the sheriff's deputy turned on his lights to go through. The- and you people have seen seen cops do this, haven't you? They, they they turn on their lights and they blow through the intersection, and there's really nothing they're going to. And Cliff called him out. And the other guy said, don't tell anybody, okay? I'm in a hurry. Got to get home. Cliff says, no problem. The sheriff was listening. The sheriff chimed in, said, you boys can talk to me about this tomorrow. (laughs) Heard it all in my grandmother's living room. And it was one of those where it's a little red light that flashes through. It's like kit. And that light lights up when they, they capture the signal. You can hear the whole conversation. And the, the, the sheriff chimes in, you boys could talk to me about this tomorrow. It was it was fantastic news, and everybody in the parish was talking about because everybody had a police scanner. This parish was so rural, rural, there was no excitement in the parish except that which came from the police scanner. And we all knew what happened. Cliff wasn't in trouble, but the other guy was. Uh-huh. Well, now... Thanks to miracles of modern technology, you got to get a digital police scanner because the, the analog police scanners were pretty cheap, and you could get them in the Sears of Robot catalog, and we don't have Sears of Robot catalogs anymore. Uh, but you can go on Amazon.com, and you can get a digital. Sc- I've thought about getting one. There are a couple hundred bucks, though, for a police scanner, but you can get a, a scanner now. It gives you police. It gives you fire. It gives you weather. It even gives you the airport. You could even get airplanes flying overhead. I'm thinking about getting one. Don't tell my wife. But this 911 operator is having this conversation in Augusta. Her microphone comes on, probably wasn't paying attention, turned her chair, flipped the switch on accident. That can happen. And someone probably in the media with a police scanner over here, her talking about smoking weed. They assume, what? 911 operator smoking weed on the job. Aha, we got a story. Let's go chase this story. I don't know that it's actually the case, but I mean, this again, let's read the key phrasing here from the media. You know what I love. You know what I love about this too. I get to smoke weed, is what the dispatcher says. This can be heard through an audio recording obtained by News Twelve. The roughly twenty-second recording continues with what sounds like a second voice responding, "Ain't that bad?" There's a brief pause, and someone from Atlanta Fire Department chimes in. "Dispatch, you got an open mic." Ten four, the dispatcher says, and goes away. And someone filed a complaint the news channel reached out to investigate why is a 911 employee smoking weed this there actually is a tie in here i want to make there are more and more trends in the media where they're trying for click stories and i don't know that that's what is here, and, and I don't want to be super critical of a particular news outlet for running because because it, it clearly captured people's attention in Augusta that this happened. Uh, but it, just take online uh, the number of news stories you see where two or three random Twitter accounts with 12 followers say something, and suddenly it generates a story that people on Twitter say or people on Twitter are doing X, Y, and Z. Uh, BuzzFeed is notorious for doing this sort of thing, where BuzzFeed will find five or six uh, people who are outraged about something, and they'll make an entire story. The Internet is outraged! No, it's five people with a combined following of 20 people on on Twitter who are outraged we've seen this over let's see um the casting of the live-action Mulan. it's often about Disney stuff you know don't you know the the live actions up there they're, they're upset about uh Disney plus I, I talked about that story yesterday you've got a, a handful of people and it is a handful of people on social media who are outraged outraged I tell you at Disney for having the audacity to put up a a screen in front of Peter Pan and and The Jungle Book and uh, the, the, The Song of the South and the like and say, this video might contain outdated cultural depictions some might find offensive. And do you know why people are outraged at Disney? They're not outraged at Disney putting up that warning sign. They're outraged at Disney for not telling people what might be culturally offensive. (laughs) I wish I could make this up, but I'm not. The Washington Post has this entire story that, for example, in Peter Pan. Now, you should know I have a a love of, of Disney's Peter Pan. When I was a kid, if I got sick and I stayed home, my mother would turn on Peter Pan. And I would watch Peter Pan on repeat from my bed. My room was also the TV room growing up, which may explain a lot. Um, but so I, I would lay in bed and the TV was on a card and the TV was actually next to my bed, facing away from my bed. But we would I would get to turn it. And I could lay in bed if I was sick, or I could lay on the couch in my room and I could watch Peter Pan. And I loved Peter Pan. I, I still love Peter Pan and Sleeping Beauty are my two favorite Disney cartoons. They always have been. I will always love both of those. Those were the ones I watched when I was sick, but particularly Peter Pan. That, that, that was the one I loved. And in Peter Pan, there is the scene with the Indian, I'm sorry, the, the Native American tribe. And they sing. The problematic song. Do you know the problematic song? Let me see if I can actually find the problematic song because I I should play you the problematic song so that you can hear it for yourself and understand what these people are outraged by. Um, Oh, come on, iTunes. Don't let me down now. Uh, No, no, I'm not talking about that. Yes, here we go. The Peter Pan soundtrack. I wonder if they even put it on the soundtrack. Do they put it on the soundtrack? No. Oh, yes. Yes, they do. This is the problematic song. If it loads on the internet. From Peter Pan. Uh huh. Are you kidding me? Yes. Gun-ga, 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 this is apparently culturally insensitive and offensive to many people. Why does he ask you how? Gun-ga, why does he ask you how? Once the
4: engine didn't know all the things that he knows now. But the engine, he sure learned a lot. And it's all from asking how.
8: That is offensive. And the name of the song is what makes it worse. Because the chorus line is... What made the red man red? <gasps> we may faint here. <laughs> People are, they, they, they want Disney banned because there's a song in Peter Pan, What Made the Red
0: Man Red. So Disney puts a thing at the beginning of the show that this show depicts outdated cultural uh, depictions that some may be offended by. And people are like, we, we want to know. What, what, what in Peter Pan is offensive? Disney, we want you to admit, we
8: want you to admit that you have a song called What Makes the Red Man Red that depicts 1950s American stereotypes of American Indians who are now supposed to be called Native Americans whose land we stole. Oh, they're upset with Disney over this. And what is it? What is it? This gets back to the 911 goal. There's only a handful of people who were
0: upset, but they turned it into an entire news story. On the problems of this, and this is what happens now on social media. The media feeds off of outrage on social media to generate news stories. A 911 operator in Augusta was investigated because someone was listening to the police scanner and thought she was admitting to smoking weed and she nearly had her career
8: ruined. The media seized on the story.
0: How many people's lives are going to be ruined because of the mob on social media which amounts to three people no one's ever heard of, complaining, and the media says, oh, I got to get some clicks, and this story will get me clicks. Who cares about the relevancy? Who cares about the story? It's all about the clicks. It is the clicks that are going to kill us as a culture. Unfortunately. I'm dragged back into impeachment because this is happening right now. It It is, if for those of you listening in delay, and I know there are a couple of stations who, who put us in delay, and my apologies to you, but you need the precise time uh, so that you understand the context of what I'm talking about. It is 1056 AM uh, here at my flagship station, WGAU in Athens uh, and across the state of Georgia. And the president of the United States is uh, savagely attacking Marie Yovanovitch right now on social media as she's testifying everywhere. Marie Yovanovitch went, turned bad. She started off in Somalia. How did that go? Then fast forward to Ukraine where the new Ukrainian president spoke unfavorably about her in my second phone call with them. It is a U.S. president's absolute right to appoint ambassadors. They call it serving at the pleasure of the president. The U.S. now has a very strong and powerful foreign policy, much different than preceding administrations. It is called quite simply America first. With all that, however, I have done far more for Ukraine than Obama. Um, The president should not be doing this. In real time, uh, it is generating a bigger story. Um, it it just, this is, this is fascinating to watch this. Um, it is not witness tampering, but it is bullying the witnesses and it gives the media just a further narrative against the president. I will tell you, I, um, here, I have a text message from a member of one of the committees, involved in all the impeachment stuff um and says that uh the president being willing to openly attack anyone who wants to testify against him in the diplomatic corps is bullying the witnesses and it's going to be hard to defend i've got a text message from a staffer for one of these uh members of congress saying that this is really feeding the media narrative about the president, and it's not helpful for him. Um, I yaw, theres for the president doing this. Um, he shouldn't be... I wish they would just stop stop letting him tweet. Um, Y'all, this is problematic today because it it feeds um, the media already wants to build the anti-Trump narrative and the president is helping them out doing this. It's not helpful for him to be on Twitter right now attacking these people. It is not. Someone please take the phone away from the president so he can't tweet. When we come back, we're moving on to other stuff, including the war on Christmas. Oh, yeah, it's already heating up. Y'all, I got a sponsor this week. I am so excited about it. I've actually been waiting for this news um, because I'm a subscriber uh, to their English uh, publication. Uh, The Spectator is coming to the United States. The Spectator is uh, the longest-running magazine in the English language. It's been published in the U.K. since... Gosh, it's like 190, 191 years, and now it's getting ready. It's going to do an American edition. It's launching, uh, well, it started, I guess, last month in print. It's going to be delivered monthly. The U.S. edition is going to be just like the U.K. magazine. If you know anything about The Spectator, it's brilliant. It's fearless, uh, very honest, and very conservative. Doesn't mince words when it comes to conservatism, and it's just it's tremendous. I highly, highly encourage you uh, to get it. It's going to have Christopher Buckley, P.J. Rourke, Christopher Caldwell, uh, Toby Young, uh, Roger Scruton, so many more. You'll get British humor as well, which I grew up with overseas. I am a huge fan of The Spectator. Literally, I'm not just saying this because they're a sponsor. I didn't even know they were going to sponsor. I'm so excited. I love The Spectator. Uh, You can check it out. Go to spectator.us slash subscribe. That's spectator.us slash subscribe, and then use offer code Eric, E-R-I-C-K. You'll get a free trial. Do it. You will love the spectator. It is so great to finally have their voice here in the United States. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson show across the state of Georgia uh, happening right now at 11 a.m. Lee Zeldin is in the hallway. They're taking an impeachment break. Uh, the congressman from New York, an ardent defender of the president, is talking.
8: My
4: head around is how it can be true that both her testimony is all about how she feels and it doesn't matter and it's not relevant, and that the president has to attack her to defend herself defend himself from what if her testimony is so irrelevant and just about her feelings why does the president have to attack her witness the, the while she's reason on the, the reason
8: why that 45 minutes was spent with her getting uh, asked questions about her feelings is because House Democrats wanted to recreate what happened in the deposition they wanted her to cry for the cameras it's unfortunate we i i, I said this before it happened yesterday how and do you know was, that? How do you know that? How do you know that? What Are was, you just reading their mind when uh, you say that? Depos- how do you know excuse that? Excuse me, let me answer. I'm I was you.
0: in the depositions, and inside of the depositions, what they wanted to use was the part of the July 25th call transcript where they
8: take President Trump's words, and then they want to ask her how she felt, and then they want to get her to cry. That's what happened previously, and it was obvious that they were looking to do exactly the same thing that they did last time.
0: It, it, amazing to hear the hostility of the press talking to Lee Zeldin on this. By the way, um, the president... Uh, did start tweeting, blasting out about uh, Marie Ivanovich and uh, Adam Schiff uh, noted that uh, that she was doing live witness intimidation, uh, witness tampering. Uh, the media has now seized on the story and this thing, the roller coaster is off. Uh, the president should have stayed away, even Republicans. I am getting text messages from members of Congress saying, well, I can't <laughs> can't read the words that they're saying, but basically, what the heck is going on? I can say one of them said what the hell is going on. Uh, (laughs) Republicans really wishing the president would stay away. Uh, We we will keep our eye on the situation as this happens. I got to play this audio for you. This this is random. This is Chick-fil-A 11-year-old Sam. This is up in Buffalo, New York. Uh, Sam just won free Chick-fil-A for a year.
8: Well, uh... I'm here in the freezing cold getting free chicken sandwiches because the food tastes great. I mean, there's no, there's no, I mean, it's chicken. It's fried chicken. It's fried chicken. I like fried chicken. Well. (laughs) He stood in line. He
0: stood in line to win free Chick-fil-A and he won it cuz it's fried chicken. I like fried I like fried chicken too, little man. I like fried chicken too. <laughs> okay. All right, all right. I, we we are continuing to watch this. The the um House Intelligence Committee is resuming shortly. There were house votes they had to get to. They will um they they will Get back in there, and, uh, man, um, the president has just thrown a, uh, thrown everybody for a loop with this tweeting. Um, now, here's a random one for you that's also happening right now. There's a protest in Iraq, and uh, police have brought out police dogs. And do you know what the protesters have brought out? Lions. No, I'm not making this up. Uh, this is from... Um, uh, my buddy Seth Mandel, who is the editor of the Washington Examiner, uh, has this picture of uh, literally lions on chains uh, with these protesters going after the police dogs. Fascinating stuff. All right, this is a, this is getting schizophrenic. I need to focus on a topic now. Uh, the, the president has just kind of blown this up. Uh, going after, what's her name, um, uh, Marie Ivanovich a, a reporter just texted me from the hearing room. Hang on a second. Uh, I'm getting live tweets, uh, direct messages on social media. <laughs> a reporter who's watching it, I, I tweeted out the president is his own worst enemy here. When we were in commercial break, a reporter who was in the committee room just replied <laughs> and said, one of the members of Congress just saw your tweet leans over to me shows it to me and says does erickson not realize it's because the guy's a moron and he thinks he's a genius (laughs) i'm i'm glad to be in the midst of the conversation there on capitol hill right now you're you're a little host with the syndicated show in georgia congressman talking about my tweets in the hearing room while they wait for break here's a story that's going to blow your mind This is from The Guardian. Uh, I was going to do this later. I I saw this. I got up this morning. I couldn't believe this is real, and it is. The Rise of the anti-natalists. Sit back, y'all. Enjoy the wild ride. We're about to go down. In February, a 27-year-old Indian man named uh, Raphael Samuel announced plans for an unusual lawsuit. He was going to sue his parents, for begetting him. It was not our decision to be born, he told the BBC. Human existence is totally pointless. Samuel recently told me over Skype from Mumbai that his is a good life, and he's actually close to his parents. His complaint is more fundamental. He believes it is wrong to bring new people into the world without their consent. He wants to sue his parents for a symbolic amount of money, such as a single rupee, To instill the fear among parents in general, because now parents don't think before having a child. Samuel subscribes to a philosophy called antinatalism. The basic tenet of antinatalism is simple, but for most of us profoundly counterintuitive. That life, even under the best of circumstances, is not a gift of or a miracle, but rather a harm and an imposition According to this logic, the question of whether to have a child is not just a personal choice, but an ethical one, and the correct answer is always no. Since its announcement, the lawsuit has not gotten off the ground. I have not been clearly told by a sitting judge that I will be—I have been told by a judge I'll be fined in court— wasting its time. Still, his lawsuit gave the antinatalism movement a boost, even earning a bemused mention by Stephen Colbert. In May, Dana Wells, a 37-year-old Dallas-based woman who goes by the friendly antinatalist on YouTube, posted a video featuring the Colbert clip and congratulating Samuel. She says, "Uh, we all owe you a round of applause. It feels like we've arrived. It feels like the big time. The notion that having children may be a bad idea seems to be gaining mainstream popularity. But when we hear about it, it's most often in the context of the climate crisis. Activists are worried about bringing children into a world threatened by rising seas, mass displacement, and other calamities. Antinatalists, however, believe that procreation has always been and always will be wrong because of life's inevitable suffering. What is similar about antinatalists and climate activists is that they're seeing an increase in attention due to general pessimism about the state of the world, giving both more opportunities to gain support. In 2006, the South African philosopher David Benatar published a book which is widely credited with introducing the term antinatalism. In Better Never to Have Been, The Harm of Coming into Existence, Benatar quotes the Greek tragedian Sophocles, Never to have been born is best, but if we must see the light, the next best is quickly returning whence we came. And the text of Ecclesiastes, So I have praised the dead that are already dead more than the living that are yet alive, but better than both of them is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. These quotes suggest the sentiment at the heart of antinatalism have been around for a long time, which is kind of taking some things out of context there. In modern history, another strain of thought emerged, warning against the dangers of population growth. In the 18th century, Thomas Malthus sounded the alarm that the population would outstrip the food supply. In 1968, Paul Ehrlich published the best-selling book, The Population Bomb, and co-founded the organization Zero Population Growth, renamed later Population Connection, arguing that growth in global population would lead to famines and ecological crisis. He also suggested people have no more than two kids. And on and on the madness goes. Experts are also championing a story from last year that says that falling total fertility rates should be welcomed. Declining fertility rates around the world should be cause for celebration, a leading expert has said, warning that the focus on boosting populations was outdated and potentially Bad for women. Recent figures reveal that globally, women now have an average of 2.4 children in their lifetime, a measure known as total fertility rate. But while in some countries that figure is far higher, in Niger, for example, it's almost 7, in almost half of countries, including the UK, Russia, and Japan, it's fallen below 2. Such declines have been met with alarm. But Sarah Harper, founder of the Royal Institution and an ex- expert on population change, said it was far from a bad thing. And panic falling total fertility rates were to be embraced. Countries should not worry about their populations not growing. You'll it, there's, a, it, there's a pagan sentiment in all of this that we see cropping up around the world uh, with the decline of Christianity in the West in particular uh, and, and non-existent in Mumbai with that guy, the antinatalist, who, who think life is bad. Well, the, the difference from prior times, and by the way, I, I'm mindful of the prior topic we discussed where the media finds a couple of fringy people on social media and turns a big story into it. And, and in fact, if you get into the Guardian story about the anti-natalists, what you find is it's just a handful of the same people quoted including someone with a YouTube page uh, is suggesting. In fact, that it is the media trying to help amplify a cause uh, more than the cause itself has been amplified already and grown, but it, it certainly is something that we're starting to hear about from environmentalists and others that um, they're feeling guilt and shame for existence, that somehow they think it's bad. Y'all, When people aren't grounded in faith, they find faith. When people aren't grounded in true religion, they find false religion. I know there are people listening right now who don't believe there is a God. The reality is there is. And the reality is that if you don't believe in the right one, you go find one. Now, some of you will say, well, oh my goodness, I I, I don't know how you can say that. I don't believe in God, and and I don't worship a God, but you do. What do you spend your money on? That tends to show you who your God is. What do you spend your money on? Now, I've had someone say, well, I don't spend my money on anything. I spend my money on my power bill. I spend my money on my cable bill. I spend my money on my water bill. I spend my money on some clothes. I, I don't spend my money on anything else. Well, then you worship yourself. Our minds are perpetual factories of idols, as as John Calvin said, and and this is part of it. It is a and, and we see, frankly, um, in civilization after civilization after civilization, the thing that separates Christianity from every other religion on the planet is that every other religion ultimately descends into a death cult. You see this in Islam with suicide bombers. You see this with the old Aztec religions of, of human sacrifice. You see this with secular re- religion and abortion. We have human death cults. You, you have a, a religion that celebrates life, and you have human death cults. And this antinatalism is derived from a secularism that is a death cult, Uh, And this idea that humanity is bad and humanity must be expunged from the earth and and our parents should be sued for giving birth to us without our consent. How exactly could they they consent? Do they build a time machine and jump into every alternative and and alternate lifestyle future or some such and jump and say, hey, are you the kid we're going to give birth to on Earth 1? Do you consent? Okay, hop back in the time machine, go back and, all right, baby, let's get it on now. Turn on the Marvin Gaye. We're, We're Going to have him, he consented. Such an idiot idea, and even more so that the 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 media giving it pl- giving it play. Back to this Guardian article in March, the British singer songwriter Blythe Pipino organized a group called Birth Strike, made up of 600 people globally who refused to have children as a result of the climate breakdown. Like the founders of Conceivable Future, birth strike adherents don't stand for population control, but rather for calling attention to the severity of the climate crisis. Antinatalists and climate change activists have intersected in some ways, and each has drawn more attention than the other. Antinatalist forums, for instance, often include information about how childlessness can reduce carbon footprints. But ultimately, the goals of the two camps diverge sharply. Birth strike grew out of a group called Extinction Rebellion, which is protesting against the threatened extinction of millions of species potentially including our own. By contrast, for true antinatalist, extinction is a dream. In a way, antinatalists can offer some useful perspective for the rest of us. It may feel like a scary time to bring a child into the world, but as antinatalists I spoke to pointed out, it always has been. At all stages in human history, life has been filled with enough unpleasantness, enough badness, and of course always in death, says Benatar, who wrote the book on antinatalism in some ways children in the past before vaccines and anesthetics and laws faced more risk and pain than they do today perhaps antinatalists can help us appreciate that uncertainty and pain are an inherent part of sentient existence even if we disagree with them on whether the bargain is worth it i mean you're all asking the question i'm asking myself if they don't like it why don't they end it i mean why don't they practice what they preach well because then there would be no one around to preach would there I, you know, I, I highlight this article for several reasons. One, because this is a thing. It is a thing, but it is a small thing. It's not a big thing. The media, however, is, is amplifying it, which, again, goes back to the clickbaitiness of the media these days. Would the media be highlighting such a story where only three or four people are actually interviewed, one of whom is a YouTube star? Who doesn't have a massive following. In fact, how much does this anti-natalist YouTube star have? the the She has a YouTube page. Um, where is it? Uh, yes, the friendly anti-natalist. Uh, she has... How many followers does this woman have? Uh, she's only got 941 subscribers. 941 subscribers! And we have a big story in The Guardian about the anti-natalist movement gaining traction with someone whose her videos only had a 1,000 views, probably most of them coming from this Guardian story. So is this a case of anti-natalism gaining traction in the world, or is this a case of the media trying to help them gain traction? I would suggest to you it's the latter. And that again, now we can string it to impeachment, can't we? How much of the impeachment accusations are real and how much of them are the media trying to gain attention to their own particular theories to advance an agenda which has been ruthlessly hostile to the president the entire time? Is there any wonder so many people question the media these days, the biases of the media, the direction of the media, the facts of the media? It all plays together in, in one harmonious circle. The media finds clickbait that pushes an agenda and they find the clickbait, even if there isn't a lot of support for it, they can advance it and say, look at this, look at this, here's support. The support is someone on YouTube with 941 subscribers. You can call in if you like, uh, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, that's 877 877- Nine seven 7425 Y'all, y'all, this is this is from the Intercept. It is a lefty site. Uh they don't like Pete Buttigieg. But oh my goodness gracious. Uh so Pete Buttigieg has decided to trot out what he's calling his Frederick Douglass plan. I I spent in the last hour talking about Pete Buttigieg has serious problems getting black voters to support him. He's coming to Atlanta to roll out his Frederick Douglass plan, a Republican Frederick Douglass was. Um, (laughs) He's got three major supporters in South Carolina of his plan. Uh, when they saw the plan uh, they began to be concerned about his plan but hey there's more of it um here here's one who says from South Carolina the long and the short of it was they never sufficiently answered my question so I never actually endorsed the plan they went ahead and used my name anyway but wait this is the punchline <laughs>
8: <laughs> to promote his Douglas plan he <laughs> but he just used a stock photo from Kenya to support his plan for black America <laughs> Oh my gosh, he actually did it. The Intercept's calling him out on it. On top of this is the tweet from Ryan Grimm, the reporter, who's a huge leftist, by the way. But on top of everything else, the Buttigieg campaign used a stock photo from Kenya to promote its Frederick Douglass plan for black America. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe he actually did it.
0: Let me see. Where, where is this in the article? That This Kenya or Nope, nope. Not in the article. It's on the Oh, holy moly. (laughs) Um, uh, A review of the 422 names on the list of supporters of Buttigieg's Frederick Douglass Plan for Black America finds that at least 297 of them appear in the South Carolina voter file. Not all states ask for information on race when registered to vote, but unsurprisingly, given its history of voter suppression, South Carolina does. I told you. Left-wing outlet. South Carolina, the the campaign only published the names of the supporters without additional identifying information, which makes finding them in the voter file a challenge, given some have common names like James Wilson and Mary Williams. But for 184 of them, the voter file lists either one name or lists of names. That means 62% can be reliably checked and 62% of them are white. (laughs) He's got mostly white people signed up for his plan for Black America that includes a picture from Kenya, to represent the American family. Oh my goodness gracious me! Wow, y'all, I, I'm I'm just this is this is something. Um, this bootlegged story. <laughs> I'm still cracking up about this. Uh, that, that he, if you're just tuning in, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, the phone lines are open. eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Uh, Buttigieg is unveiling his Frederick Douglass plan for black America on how to elevate black Americans. Uh, he put a bunch of names out of South Carolina voters who supported his plan. Uh, not 62% of those people are white and the stock image of the mother with her son that he uses to tout his plan on social media a comprehensive investment in the empowerment of black America. It's actually a picture of a family in Africa. You can't make this stuff
8: up. <laughs> I mean, just think of a Republican did that,
0: used a stock image from Africa. To promote a plan for black American families. Oh, my goodness. All right. Um, Things are heating up on Capitol Hill now that the president has been been tweeting out angrily about Marie Yovanovitch. Uh, Adam Schiff has brought it up. She's still testifying. We're going to jump back into this, given the president. I was uh, thinking I could avoid it, but given the president's Twitter feed, I probably can't. So let's go back to it. Here she is testifying.
7: When I returned to the United States, Deputy Secretary of State Sullivan told me there had been a concerted campaign against me, that the president no longer wished me to serve as ambassador to Ukraine, and that, in fact, the president had been pushing for my removal since the prior summer. As Mr. Sullivan recently recounted during his Senate confirmation hearing, neither he nor anyone else ever explained or sought to justify the president's concerns about me, nor did anyone in the department justify my early departure by suggesting I had done something wrong. I appreciate that Mr. Sullivan publicly affirmed at his hearing that I had served capably and admirably. Although then and now I have always understood that I served at the pleasure of the President, I still find it difficult to comprehend that foreign and private interests were able to undermine U.S. interests in this way. Individuals who apparently felt stymied by our our efforts to promote stated U.S. policy against corruption—that is, to do our mission—were able to successfully conduct a campaign of disinformation against a sitting ambassador using unofficial back channels. As various witnesses have recounted, they shared baseless allegations with the president and convinced him to remove his ambassador, despite the fact that the State Department fully understood that the allegations were false and the sources highly suspect. These events should concern everyone in this room. Ambassadors are the symbol of the United States abroad. They are the personal representative of the president. They should always act and speak with full authority to advocate for U.S. policies. If our chief representative is kneecapped, it limits our effectiveness to safeguard the vital national security interests of the United States. This is especially important now when the international landscape is more complicated and more competitive than it has been since the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Our Ukraine policy has been thrown into disarray, and shady interests the world over have learned how little it takes to remove an American ambassador who does not give them what they want. After these events, what foreign official, corrupt or not, could be blamed for wondering whether? The U.S. Ambassador represents the President's views. And what U.S. Ambassador could be blamed for harboring the fear that they can't count on our government to support them as they implement stated U.S. policy and protect and defend U.S. interests? I'd like to comment on one other matter before taking your questions. At the closed deposition, I expressed grave concerns about the degradation of the Foreign Service over the past few years and the failure of State Department leadership to push back as foreign and corrupt interests apparently hijacked our Ukraine policy. I remain disappointed that the Department's leadership and others have declined to acknowledge that the attacks against me and others are dangerously wrong. This is about far, far more than me or a couple of individuals. As foreign service professionals are being denigrated and undermined, the institution is also being degraded. This will soon cause real harm if it hasn't already. The State Department as a tool of foreign policy often doesn't get the same kind of attention or even respect as the military might of the Pentagon. But we are, as they say, the pointy end of the spear. If we lose our edge, the U.S. will inevitably have to use other tools Even more than it does today. And those other tools are blunter, more expensive, and not universally effective.
0: Okay, I I, I want to wind this back down again because it's funny. I was just about to cut the mic when when Charlie uh, sent along a note, my producer, uh, saying, (laughs) I'll leave out some of the word choices. What does any of this have to do with the impeachment inquiry? Seriously, it doesn't. And that that's that's it. That that's the issue here is this doesn't have to do with impeachment. This has to do with the diplomats not liking what the president did. And there's a lot to not like about what the president did. If we're honest about it, the president should not have done these things. The president should not have pushed her out, and he, he pushed her out because Rudy Giuliani believes something probably John Solomon said on Fox News or, or some other person, pushing a, a theory that has largely been discredited except by certain opinion hosts on Fox, and uh, that opinion caused the American ambassador to be pushed out while she was promoting anti-corruption in Ukraine. And the president is convinced because of these people that she's the bad guy, and, and honestly, she's not. She's a sympathetic witness. But again, what does it have to do with impeaching the president for a quid pro quo and bribery? What It, it has nothing to do with it. The media is galvanized. The, the media loves it. The media thinks uh, this is a big deal. What, 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 what? what does it have to do with impeachment? I don't think it has anything to do with impeachment, it has to do with a disagreement in public policy. And the president gets to support, gets to uh, form public policy, not the bureaucrats.
7: Day, we are people who repeatedly uproot our lives, who risk and sometimes give our lives for this country. We are the 52 Americans who 40 years ago this month began 444 days of deprivation, torture, In captivity in Tehran. We are the dozens of Americans stationed at our embassy in Cuba and consulates in China who mysteriously and dangerously and in some cases perhaps even permanently were injured and attacked from unknown sources several years ago. And we are Ambassador Chris Stevens, Sean Patrick Smith, Ty Woods and Glenn Doherty, people rightly called heroes, for their ultimate sacrifice to this nation's foreign policy interests in Libya eight years ago. We honor these individuals. They represent each one of you here and every American. These courageous individuals were attacked because they symbolized America. What you need to know, what Americans need to know, is that while thankfully most of us answer the call to duty in far less dramatic ways. Every foreign service officer runs the same risks, and very often so do our families. They serve too, as individuals. Okay, as a I, you know
0: I'm winding this back down because I, I, I think it's important for you guys to hear what's happening right now on Capitol Hill with the Intelligence Committee hearing. Um, but I, I just I got a question of of what exactly does any of this have to do with impeachment? What exactly does any of this have to do with it? It's certainly emotional. I think she certainly was fired unjustly. I, I, but I also think that she can be fired at the will of the president of the United States, whether anyone likes it or not, she can be fired, um, on the prerogative of the president of the United States. And she can she can use her colleagues, fellow ambassadors who are killed, to say how we need to defend them and we shouldn't undermine them. And I think she's got a claim that the president, what he did, was harmful to the diplomatic corps and was harmful to um, was harmful to what happened. But I just, I, what does this have to do with impeachment? What what does Her claim have to do with impeachment. Uh, While they were on break, ABC News' Terry Moran popped up. And let's listen to what Terry Moran from ABC News had to say. second channel of foreign policy being run
8: by Rudy Giuliani. That said, she did not really get us any closer to an action that would demonstrate the guilt of Donald Trump of an impeachable offense. She describes a very sad and disturbing situation regarding
0: uh, the State Department. Yeah, there's no, what what is the impeachable offense? What is the impeachable offense? Uh, Here's here's chris wallace on this listen to this part of the commentary on
5: this trying to get her feelings from her and it was made very clear heading into this that that was one of the strategies on the part of democrats yeah i mean clearly uh she is a somewhat sympathetic character uh long time diplomatic service she went through the details of her own family history she went through the details of her own service this is martha uh, she talked about five hardship uh, positions hear. that she was in she talked about being you know in situations Situations where uh, there was crossfire going on around her and the difficulty of her job, um, clearly she was very upset when she started to get wind that there were forces that were kind of turning against her and that were creating um, a precipitous situation for her for the future of her career. Um, you know, I mean, we just have to sort of keep in mind that at this stage of the game, as we watch through all of the courses of these hearings, we have heard her side of the story and we've heard the Democrats' council try to draw her out as a very sympathetic Character, I think that in in that goal, um, he did well in terms of you know sort of building up her credibility, also making it clear that she felt that she was sort of being attacked and undermined by Rudy Giuliani and other forces that were turning against her based on what she said was unsubstantiated claims that she had. Put together a do-not-prosecute list, and that she had badmouthed the president. She claims that both of those things are not true. Um, there's some suggestions that the word "list" is what is uh, not very accurate here, but that the sentiment behind the idea that there were people that they didn't want prosecuted may bear out. Um, and we'll see what the Republicans, you know, question, line of questioning does to establish any of that if if, the, if it's there. What well,
3: we expect, Martha's is Republicans to go after the campaign of 2016, what role Ukraine played in that, and also I would expect also questions about hunter biden his involvement on the board of burisma what did he do for it what did he get for it so we expect that line of questioning momentarily before that happens chris wallace your exam your analysis on what you have heard thus far i think that if you are not moved and we'll have to wait and see what happens in the cross-examination but if you were not moved by the testimony of Marie Ivanovich today, you don't have a pulse. This is a woman who had served in seven posts for presidents of both parties over more than 30 years, Uh, hardship posts, places like Somalia, like Tashkent. And she tells a story of being a leading fighter. Against corruption in Ukraine and being called out of a, a meeting to that was a, a, an event at the U.S. Embassy that was to honor an anti corruption fighter who was later killed because acid was thrown into that woman's face. And she's being told by the Secretary General at the State Department, uh, You're going to have to leave, and you're going to have to leave on the next plane. Uh, and we're worried about your security, not your physical security, but obviously uh, our ability to protect you and your reputation and your standing there
0: okay what does this have to do with impeachment i mean again this is an impeachment of the president of the united states if this is an impeachment of the president of the united states what does this have to do with impeachment of the president of the United States? The impeachment of the president of the United States is based on the idea that the president of the United States demanded Ukraine's president investigate Joe Biden. She said in her opening statement she had no knowledge of it. Y'all, what the president did to this woman was wrong. But he had every right to do it. He is the president of the United States. Everyone underneath him, including the ambassador, serve at the pleasure of the president of the United States. Uh, That is his prerogative. Um, And it it is whether you like it or not, the president gets to do these things. The president of the United States gets to make these choices. And if you don't like him uh, and you don't like that, he gets to do that, you beat him in the election again. Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2, he shall have the power by and with the advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties provided two-thirds of the senators present concur, and he shall nominate and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint ambassadors, other public ministers and councils, judges of the Supreme Court, and all other officers of the United States whose appointments are not herein otherwise provided for and which shall be established by law, but the Congress may vest by law. Uh, may by law vest the appointment of such inferior officers in the president alone in the courts of law or in the heads of departments. The president shall have the power to fill up all vacancies that may happen. It is his power. He gets the right to dismiss them. He dismissed her. He had that power. How do you impeach a president of the United States for, Im- for removing a woman when it was his right and power and privilege to do so? You can't. You don't. I don't understand however sympathetic she is, and she's a very sympathetic person, and she has some amazing story. And the president should not be on Twitter blowing her up right now. But what does it have to do with impeachment? Have we all lost our minds? We're not allowed to distinguish between the two. Yes, she's very sympathetic. Yes, she has a story. Yes, the president was wrong to, to fire her, but he had every right to do it. He had every right to do it. He had every power to do it. And this is how are the Democrats are going to pursue impeachment? I, I I think this is problematic. There are some breaking news we need to deal with happening right now. Roger Stone has been found guilty on two counts uh, related to uh, the special prosecutor's investigation of Roger Stone. Roger Stone uh, reaching out, working with Russians, uh, Julian Assange, WikiLeaks, all that, um, lying to the grand jury or to the independent counsel and whatnot, found guilty on two counts. Roger Stone... Um, We'll see how this plays out and keep an eye on it. Also, other breaking news. The Department of Labor is announcing Georgia's unemployment rate has fallen to 3.4 percent, matching the lowest unemployment rate ever in that was recorded in 1976. Georgia also set a record number for total jobs in the state, 4.64 million jobs. Since 2010, Georgia has added 805,000 jobs. Governor Brian Kemp says unemployment rates are at historic lows. Job totals are breaking records. And Georgia-made businesses are hiring from our ports and first-class infrastructure network to a nation-leading workforce. Georgia is on the minds of companies around the world. As the top state for business for the seventh consecutive year, we are proud to see Georgia-grown private sector companies expanding across the beach state. That is happening right now. Also happening right now, listen to Chris Wallace, another clip from him on Fox News. The Republicans are passing this one around rapidly right now.
3: Last sense of how political this is. if you if People, I'm sure, have noticed that for weeks the Democrats have been calling it a quid pro quo. Now they're calling it bribery. It turns out that House Democrats did a focus group literally a focus group like you have in a political campaign, and they presented a bunch of questions or a bunch of phrases to average Americans, this focus group, what sounds worse? Quid pro quo, extortion, bribery. The focus group said bribery, so that's what the Democrats are calling it.
0: <laughs> they're, they're leading their impeachment on a focus group. That believes that they should say bribery when there was no bribery. Holy moly, these people are insane. Why are we wasting our time with this? Let the voters decide. Let the voters decide. Um, This is just, this is silly. I don't understand why, listen, however sympathetic uh, Marie Yovanovitch is, what does it have to do with impeachment? It doesn't have anything to do with impeachment. And that matters. That matters. Uh, so, genius Eric Swalwell, um, who wanted to run for president, actually just tweeted out Did no, I'm sorry, it was 14 hours ago and he's, he's just retweeted it himself. Did the shoe bomber blow up the plane? Nope. Is he in jail for life? Yep. Would you want to sit next to him on a plane tomorrow? Nope. Turns out, Donald Trump, in America, we punish incomplete crimes. You know, I don't think the president of the United States should have done what he did. I don't think the president of the United States should have asked Ukraine to look into Burisma when the president was never interested in it until after Joe Biden became a Democratic nominee. But I'm beginning to believe Donald Trump is the smartest man in the room. I'm beginning to believe that... that Donald Trump is way smarter than these people who are pushing him on or, or pushing this impeachment investigation. He is certainly smarter than Eric Swalwell. And I, i'm I'm just i'm I'm flabbergasted by the Democrats. They're essentially making an emotional play with Marie Ivanovich, that the president is charting a course in foreign policy that they don't like. And in charting a course in foreign policy they don't like, he's got to be stopped. You know, they have the power to stop the president. They have the power of the purse. They don't need to use impeachment for it. But so I've got my my syndicated column. Uh, My syndicated column comes out today in newspapers across the nation, except for most in Georgia, which is kind of weird. I have a nationally syndicated column. I got a syndicated radio show across Georgia and most newspapers in Georgia actually don't, uh, run the column, but, um, I, I got a point. I want to read you a line, uh, from the column. You know, I kind of worked on it during commercial break yesterday and read part of this, but I, I gotta, I gotta read this line again. Cause I'm a fan of this line. Every wet spaghetti noodle of an accusation has been hurled at the white house wall to see what might stick to take out Orange Man bad. And that is exactly what is happening here with Marie Ivanovich. The president treated her badly. She's the victim of a smear campaign led by corrupt oligarchs in Ukraine, backed by Russia, and the president fell for it. And we should actually be horrified by that. But it was his right and privilege as president to fire her, whether you like it or not, and she knows nothing of the quid pro quo or the alleged bribery or extortion of Ukraine. The only reason she's testified is because she is a sympathetic witness for the democratic cause.